You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. The high drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Albies going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzy Albies. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts. Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on TalkingChop.com, where I am the deputy site manager and the minor league editor. I've been in both positions for a while now. Joining me this evening is my good buddy, longtime colleague at Talking Chop, and you can follow him on Twitter at BravesMILB, the one and the only Garrett Spain. Garrett, how are you, my buddy? I'm good. Coming off a good weekend for the Braves this week. It's been good. It's crazy that this is, what, our sixth season together? Fifth or sixth? So, so first, been... season was tw- first season was 2015, so yeah. Six years. But, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of wild. Uh, I, I joined Talking Chop in 2015. Uh, I kind of took over the minor league side of things after a couple months, and then I talked to you online and dragged you into it right before that All Star break uh, to do that for the first project. We the first big project we had was the the minor league prospect list, and it's just been kind of off to the races since then. It's been a long time, long time. Some would some some would say too long to have to deal with both of us on a day to day basis, but you know. You know, fortunately, Chris Willis somehow managed to survive this long. And uh, by the way, uh, big congratulations to our boss. Chris Willis uh, was hired f- as a full-time content producer by SB Nation. Basically, doesn't change a thing for Talking Chop because he's been running the show and making the, you know, making everything run on that on the site for a long time now, uh, as long as I've been there for sure. And now he's actually being, you know, compensated for it, and that where he's going to be able to kind of focus all his energy on, you know, growing the site and doing a lot of the stuff on the back end too to kind of. Make sure things like run more efficiently and all that stuff. We're already seeing a lot of those changes. Uh, but you know, big congratulations to Chris. He absolutely deserves it. The site would not be anywhere close to what it is without him. Uh, I certainly would be writing uh, as long as I have without him as my, as a boss. He's the best boss you could possibly ask for. You know, obviously, you know, huge Chris Willis fan. Uh, you you will not hear any else anything else from me uh, or really anyone else that works here at Talking Chop. He's just a, a great boss, super encouraging, and you know, again. Is if you if you enjoy if you enjoy Chalking Chop as a website and if you enjoy Talking Chop as a form of content, then you are a Chris Wells fan because it wouldn't happen without him. Um, Amen to all of that. Chris has been great since the day I went on, and it's we're very very honored to have him as our manager for sure. And lucky because you know he doesn't really have any skin in the game, right? Like he's just you know. If you if you have ideas and you want you want to create content, he'll encourage you. He'll give you all the tools that you need to. If you need help, he's the perfect. He gives it every time. Uh, but he also like provides structure to a staff that I think that if we were left to our own devices, you know, we would kind of just kind of wing it a lot. And to be fair, I think that it would work okay, but it wouldn't be anywhere close to what it is. And that that kind of that structure to kind of making sure that content goes out in a structured way consistently has allowed us to build the audience to what it is. And again, we're just. Just, I'm a super big Chris Wolves fan. I've been for a long time. We'll continue to do so for a long time, and I'm absolutely thrilled for him to get the opportunity to, you know, be a paid, you know, to be a like a full, like a true full time position, uh, paid contributor. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about some minor league baseball, Garrett. Now we've been doing uh, regular lower two Atlanta's now for a few weeks, uh, giving updates on the entire 
the system, you know, going level by levels, the who's doing what and all that stuff. And I think we're at the point now where we have enough kind of a sample size to kind of take some questions from readers to kind of talk about some bigger picture type stuff. Uh, the format will come back, go back to normal next week, but again, I just wanted to be able to take some reader questions. I really like doing that with these with this particular podcast to kind of cover a lot of ground, figure out what readers are really wanting to know and kind of, again, some of these bigger picture questions uh, or ask some questions maybe we haven't been covering on podcasts. So this kind of allows us to kind of fill in those gaps. But we do have some newsy type stuff before we get to all that. Uh, no major promotions or anything like that. The one demotion was Bryce Wilson being demoted from Atlanta to Gwinnett. Not that surprising with the Atlanta having to probably – well, I say having to. They're going to probably go to a four-man rotation for a while, at least until the beginning of June, uh, which means that Bryce seems like going to be kind of the odd man out. He's the guy that also seems to respond the best to moving up and down, uh, up and down levels. You know, again, there's certainly some reasonable arguments as to why you should do that with any pitching prospect that you have any amount of faith in. But if it's something that it seems like he responds well with, I don't have a huge problem with it. Uh, especially if you want to try to, you know, try out a, another, another reliever in Jay Flaw, which is what the corresponding move was. Um, Garrett, what about you? Uh, what's some newsworthy stuff that you would kind of have on your mind before we kind of get into the mailbag questions? Yeah, I think we haven't, we've seen a few, injuries for the Braves this year in the minor league system, but nobody major. I think the two biggest ones, Jake Higginbottom a couple weeks ago went down for Mississippi where, you know, friend of the show, unfortunate with him. Um, and then Riley Delgado just this week went on the injured list. You know, Delgado's a guy that, you know, could get be a bench bat in the future. We like Delgado. You know, he got off to a pretty good start to the season, so it's unfortunate to see him go down. He, I think the – He can really feel too. Yeah. Yeah, um, Alex Jackson went on a rehab assignment. I assume he's just, you know, once that assignment's over, he's going to stay at Gwinnett. He obviously is not ready for the major leagues. Uh, Shane Green is back pitching, had a really great debut, struck out three guys. So I think the biggest news is, is that we haven't seen Jared Schuster in two and a half weeks and that he's not on the injured list. We've heard absolutely nothing, but I mean, it's concerning when your first round pick comes in, pitches one game and then is completely gone. You know, we didn't see him. We heard nothing of him really in spring training, and now all of a sudden we hear nothing of him now, and it's kind of – it's definitely not a good sign. Yeah, I definitely heard whispers that he was dealing with some sort of injury issue and has been dealing with that for a little while now. Now, the severity of that issue is open to interpretation, especially since he made that opening week start. He's listed as a probable starter this week. I'm not sure if that's just kind of the, like, MILB – Website weirdness where they just kind of put name, fill in names and then they just change stuff at the last minute, which has happened a lot this year, by the way. Uh, once like double hatters happen and games get canceled, like they don't change those probables. They're, you know, I get, you know, tweets at me like, you know, like Darius Vine pitched yesterday. Why are they pitching him again today? And you, you need to be taking a lot of this, what's on MILB's site with a grain of salt simply because of kind of like they don't update that the way you'd think. It's kind of incumbent on the teams to do so. Some teams are better about that sort of getting that information out quickly and updating it quickly than others. And, you know, it's so, like, it's the same thing with like the, the game day stuff. You know, everyone's like, wow, he's, you know, this guy's getting squeezed, you know, by an umpire. And I'm like, eh, I think that that might be the, the, the intern that's in charge of that particular computer that day, giving the, you know, the home team's pitcher a little bit more of a, uh, a little bit more leeway than you'd think in terms of, you know, where, where to place those pitches on the screen. Uh, because it's not like in, you know, Major League Baseball necessarily where they have, you know, the, the really advanced cameras and they're relaying all that information to the MILB site. A lot of that's just kind of like, you know, like eyeballing it and kind of going from there. Uh, that's possible that's changed uh, recently, but my hunch is, is more that, the you know, what you're seeing on the screen isn't necessarily what you are, are going to be seeing that night or, you know, what had happened in the previous night for that matter. So, um, but those are all work, those are all noteworthy things. Again, in the next couple weeks or so, we'll, we've seen some minor roster moves, just kind of guys getting added from extended and guys getting, you know, filling in on, you know, for injured list assignments and stuff like that. But I think in the next couple weeks, we might start to see some actual lateral movements in terms of guys getting promoted and things like that. There's certainly some guys that we've been talking about a lot that are going to be featured prominently in those discussions. But we'll get we'll get to those discussions here in the mailbag. Uh, we I uh, appreciate everyone submitting a bunch of questions. Uh, 
gave us a lot of things to talk about here in this episode, a lot of things, that, a, lot, a lot of ground to cover. So I'm going to go ahead and just dive right into it. Uh, first question for tonight's episode is, uh, can you compare and contrast the traits of Michael Harris and Ronald Acuna Jr. that made them stand out so early in their careers? This is a loaded question, but <laughs> Garrett, I'll let you go ahead and go first. Yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously the thing that stands out is both of them are clearly extremely talented players. But, you know, Acuna stood out early in his career because, I mean, everything about him was just absolutely top of the scale. He, you watch him play and you could tell that he just had superstar talent from day one. Harris is a guy who is very talented and has a high ceiling, but he's more of a, he stood out because he's much more advanced than we expected. He's a guy who knows the strike zone, who knows how to hit, has an approach at the plate. So he stood out as a guy who really has impressed in his maturity, the way he approaches the game, and a lot of the things that Acuna struggled with early on in his career. So they've actually, obviously the talent for both of them is the most important thing. That's why the Braves love Harris. That's why the Braves loved Acuna. But I think that for me, the thing that, you know, Acuna stood out because he was otherworldly and Harris is standing out because he's doing thing. He is approaching the game in a way that you don't typically see a 20 year old approach the game. And that's extremely impressive thing to see out of him. Yeah. I think there, there is a pretty clear difference in uh, how that they started their careers. Now, how they end up completely different, right? Because Ronald Cooney Jr. is one of the best players in baseball. Let's just go ahead and get that out of the way. And the first weekend that we saw him, we were hearing this batting practice and he's a skinny, a skinny teenager and just the ball, it's just everything about what he does is loud. You know, just like cracking balls all over the place and then he's running around like his hair's on fire. You know, all the physical tools were there and you saw a special physical talent, but you also saw what you, the thing that I think we all kind of noticed is his ability with his hands and his wrists combined with his bat speed is like the adjustments that he would make mid swing, right? It's those like little things that like, it's not just an approach thing. It's just that having the physical capability to make those adjustments and to be able to put the barrel on the ball the way that he could and still can is something that is underrated about Ronnie. And when you have all those physical tools and then it seems like that they're going to be playing with regularity in games, then of course he's going to stand out. In Michael Harris's case, I don't want to discount that Michael Harris has physical tools. Like it's above average raw power, it's above average speed. He can probably, I, I think he can stick in center field. It might end up where he kind of grows into being a, kind of a, a corner guy. Uh, but the approach at the plate is really, really good. Uh, it seems like he is very firmly dedicated to working the opposite field uh, as a pro. And I think that there's been come a little bit at the expense of his power so far this year. I mean, he's still shown plenty to make you think that he can put the barrel on the ball, but like he has been dedicated to that focus of being able to hit the ball the other way and just get on, get on base and get that key hit when the, when the, when his team needs it. And again, it's just kind of an approach thing from a really young player with limited pro experience. I mean, we forget, I mean, he made a very short debut in Roman during his draft year, which already kind of blew our minds that a team, a prep bat ended up at Rome in his draft year, which tells you a lot about what the Braves kind of think about his mental makeup and, you know, whether or not he can actually kind of deal with the kind of that quick promotion. But combined with that, with how impressive he was in spring, how he goes about working, uh, working on his game and just improving in all the things that he can do on the field. And then putting him at high A, and he's doing this in his first year in full season ball, really, in, in, in fairness. That's what's so impressive about him. It's, and it's a, it's a bit of an approach thing, but I don't, I feel like if you say something like that, that it kind of discounts a guy's physical tools, and that's not what I mean. I think that per- Michael Harris is perfectly capable of turning on a fastball and sending it 440 feet away. He's perfectly capable of doing that. But I don't think that that's necessarily a game that's something that's going to be coming as easy as it does for Ronnie. I don't think that a lot of the things that come easy for Ronnie come as easy for Mike. But what does come easily for Mike is kind of that approach to it, taking at bats and, you know, how, you know, how to go, go the other way in as a kind of a slightly, as a different hitter. Um, and again, really good defensively. We love Michael Harris. We've been adamant about this. I think he's a very good hitter. 
And I just, you know, it's just not, I don't know if it's necessarily fair to compare these two guys because I think that Ronald Cooney Jr. is a, a generational talent. I don't necessarily think Michael Harris is, but I also think he's an extremely good player with a ceiling is like, a, oh, like a very good, like an all-star, right? But Ronald Cooney Jr.'s ceiling is like the best player in baseball, if that makes any sense. So that's, that's the, the, the short answer is that's kind of where, where, where we are in terms of comparing them earlier in the careers, how, how, how they progress. That's that's up that's up to both those guys. You know what I mean? Uh, Ronnie's still in many ways. Ronnie's still learning, which is frankly kind of scary. Uh, and Michael's gonna, have, you know, he has a lot to he has a lot to learn too, and he'd be the first to tell you that. So you know how he, you know, does he bulk up and turn maybe get more power, and you know we start seeing him turn to a slightly different hitter, or does he stay trim and you know kind of have kind of that all around game that we we really enjoy? It, it just depends. I mean, again, he's still so young that it's kind of pigeonholing him right now doesn't seem particularly fair. Um, next question is thoughts on Bryce Ball's start to the season. Uh, definitely a weird start of the uh, start to the season for Bryce, and one that I wasn't necessarily anticipating. Garrett, what do you think? I think uh, obviously the thing that jumps out in the positive sense is, is every game you watch him, it's clear he knows the strike zone, he knows what pitches are his to hit, and he's really tuning in that approach to the zone and all of that. That's a really good positive sign for him. He's shown power on occasion. He's hit the ball a mile a few times. He's hit it hard. Um, on the negative end, I mean, he struck out a good bit. I, I don't, for hitters right now, and we'll get to pit, with, for hitters right now, I don't want to judge too much on strikeout rate for guys who weren't at the alternate side because they haven't really hit real pitching in over a year. And so it's hard to say, well, Ball striking out a lot, he's going to strike out a lot. Well, we don't really know that because pitchers are, you watch the games, pitchers are clearly ahead of the hitters in that regard. You know, in the same four, it's hard to judge those low A guys on their walk rates because the pitchers right now have absolutely no idea where they're throwing the ball. And so I don't, I don't want to, I think overall we've, I've seen enough positive that it's a little disappointing he hasn't hit better, but at the same time, I, get it it's kind of a weird situation and we'll kind of see how he adjusts through the season the thing that has been I think the thing that's been the most concerning is that unless something drastic changes he is not going to stick at first base and because he has looked horrible over there and that puts a ton of pressure on him to hit and I think that he has the ability to hit, but I don't know if he will hit. It's going to be a very tough thing for him to hit enough to play as a DH. And he has all the physical tools to do that. It's just you really have to hit to be a good DH. And that's the ceiling. He really he has to pretty much max out his hit tool to get to the point that he can stick as a DH and it, it's just, it's going to be a long road for him to get there. I don't think that he's going to move particularly fast. Fortunately, you have enough at the major league level where you don't need him to move very fast, but yeah, it's, it's watching him defensively this year has been a very, very disappointing thing for me, I think. Yeah, he definitely hasn't looked particularly good defensively and you're right that it puts a lot of pressure on the bat. Um, whenever I, I mean, I, all your points about the early season struggles with strikeouts and things like that are absolutely true. We're seeing a lot of guys who just don't normally struggle hitting, uh, have been struggling. And, you know, when you, when any guy strikes out in a third of his plate appearances, it definitely kind of catches your eye. Uh, in Bryce's case, I think that some of it has been kind of him, uh, trying his best to, you know, work through a, a period of time where he's scuffling to like getting a lot of late counts. And that hasn't always worked out in his favor. Uh, I will say that the umpiring has also not been particularly good in the lower levels <laughs> the, for the first few weeks of the season. But, you know, he has good feel for hitting. I think he will end up hitting. But you're right to be concerned that you to hit enough for the kind of profile he has is going to be a tall order. And whenever you're already seeing him start to struggle right now, and he has plenty of time to get these struggles sorted out, right? I mean, like, he's guy's batting under 200 right now. Uh, you know, again, the walks are great, but you know, he's not a guy that's giving you much defensively. He's not giving you much on the base paths either. So, you know, you're this, he is in the lineup to mash baseballs and he's certainly capable of doing that. He's again, he's hit a few bombs and you know, he's one of those guys that's capable of hitting balls where other guys have never hit them. So, you know, 
I'm ho- I'm still hopeful on Bryce, uh, but it's worth kind of adjusting one expectations because the profile. I think that he can still be the same hitter we thought, but the profile is harder when you factor in that you, he's, we're not really seeing that improvement defensively. So now there's just the bar is just that much higher, um, and maybe that means is he if he's a guy that hits 240 but can hit 40 home runs, is that good enough? And it might not be if we're just being honest about it. So it's a t- it's a tough situation, uh, but one we're monitoring because like, I just think that Bryce is a better he's definitely a better hitter than what he is right what he, what's his numbers look like right now. And I, I am certain that they will continue to improve, but for the moment, you know, definitely worth monitoring, you know, how he does going forward. Uh, cause, you know, again, big giant guys who have that kind of feel for hitting, you know, you definitely want to keep their eye on because he's certainly a guy that can go on a tear that, you know, can make us sh- shut up pretty quickly. Um, next question. Uh, who do you think has the most trade value that the Braves are realistically going to trade if AA ever pulls off the big one? Uh, these, these questions are always a little silly to me. Uh, but I'll let you go ahead and start. I mean, obviously the answer is Drew Waters. He's the best. Other than, I mean, I guess you could consider Pache, but I don't think that they're going to trade him at this point. It'd be kind of really trading him at low value to do that. The question is water. The answer is Waters, but I really don't even know if it's realistic for them to trade him because that's just, I mean, you assume there's going to be a DH next season. So you trade Waters. Now you're opening up another hole in the system with Pache not really hitting yet, so you really don't know if he's going to make it to the major league level. So Waters is, by a very, very, very wide margin, the most valuable trade piece in the system. But it, if you get the right guy, it makes sense to trade him. But at the same time, you are, you have, they're going to be aware that we're opening a hole in the system by trading out a Triple A, out a nearly major league ready outfielder. You know, and that's putting, you know, we believe in Michael Harris, but at the same time, you don't want to put all your eggs in a guy at, you know, high. That's a 20-year-old. I mean, that's a lot of pressure on him. On the pitching side, I honestly, I mean, Harris is a guy that they could trade. I don't, I don't think that the Braves' evaluation of Harris matches up with the industry evaluation of Harris. So I think it would be hard for them to get the value that they think Harris is worth in a trade that could change by the end of the season, but I don't think that right now it's at that point. I, I honestly don't know other than maybe De La Cruz, maybe Moeller. I really don't see any of the pitchers having huge amounts of trade value. I think if you want to pull off a big trade, you have to kind of package a bunch of guys because I don't think that outside of waters. Oh, Langoliers. I mean, yeah, obviously you could pull, I guess Langoliers of the guys that if they trust Contreras 100%, they could move Langoliers for a legitimate major league player as and have him as the centerpiece. I think that's probably the most realistic one. I don't think that any of the pitchers are doing well enough that you could say, well, that's a guy we can trade for a major league player. You would have to package quite a few guys. I think Langoliers and Waters, with Langoliers, probably the, the more – Langoliers would hurt the system less if you traded him just because you already have Contreras – Whereas if you trade Waters, you're really putting a lot of faith in Pache to hit. So here's my thing about questions like this, right? Is that the guys who have the most value are, it's easy to figure out which ones have the most value just by looking at the top of our prospect list, right? Like all you have to do is look and go, these are the guys that we find to be the best prospects. So they in, are the guys that we probably think have the highest value. Now you can kind of adjust a little bit for like an industry. How do I put it? An industry pre- preference for position players. So the three players that are worth having a discussion here are Drew Waters, Michael Harris, and Shea Langoliers. Those are the three. Uh, we don't have, you know, obviously we don't have the Braves didn't pick a, a, a position player in the first round last year. So there's not kind of like that first round pedigree type guy. And we haven't seen any kind of offensive breakouts that would like kind of shuffle people into this conversation. And I would actually hazard a guess to say is that if you were to, if we were to re-rank all of our prospect right now, prospects right now, those are the three names that would feature very prominently. Um, you know, again, Chris, Christian Pache is kind of in a weird place right now where he hasn't played particularly well in the major leagues. But he's also rehabbing an injury. We'll kind of see what he looks like and see if that if any changes happen there, you know, things like that. And Ian Anderson's now officially, you know, he's no longer in the conversation because he just used up. He's using up his eligibility. But th- that's where you'd go for where the most valuable guys are. Now, realistically, 
is an entirely different question because we have yet to see Alex Anthopoulos trade a prospect of high note as a, as the Braves general manager. It's just true. And if that's the case, if he's just, you know, hell-bent on, you know, holding on to all of these guys for as long as humanly possible, and it's been to the detriment of their value. I mean, we've seen this happen with pitching prospects and, uh, like, sig- you know, significant pitching prospects who weren't given opportunities, end up getting hurt, whatever the reason is, that they turn kind of into, you know, they, they, they either turn back into pumpkins or they just kind of languish on the vine to where all of a sudden their value is diminished. And if that, you know... I don't see Anthopolis changing that. I'll believe it when I see it, I guess is the best way to describe it. And realistically, I don't see them making a big trade, uh, particularly an in-season trade, to change, to change that. Now, in the off-season, I guess something could happen, but then we're like in the shadow of like these CBA negotiations, which are going to get very contentious. And are they going to put a bunch of prospect capital into trading for a, a, a guy they really want, not knowing what their revenue situation is going to be and all this other stuff? Like, Putting names to these trades right now just doesn't make much sense because I honestly think that the likelihood of a big trade is at an all-time low. Now that now that I've said that out loud, this is when they're going to like make a trade for Trevor Story or something like that and make me look stupid, which is completely fine. I would be you know more than you know more than happy to eat that later if you know they end up making a big trade for a player that you know ends up being great for the, the Braves for the next five years or whatever. But that's the the problem, right? It's like you know. It's easy to identify the most valuable players just by looking by, by at least what we think based on our prospect rankings, but making it realistic is tricky because we haven't actually seen them. He like, you know, like the, I think the highest ranked prospect that he's traded is Joey Wentz. Like that's, that's the guy, that's the biggest guy, right? So, and you know, and Joey was probably in that, you know, firmly in that second tier of pitching prospects, you know, when he was in the Brave system. So I'm, I'm, these are the kind of questions that are just hard for me because again, Everyone wants to know, like, who's the prospect that's most likely to be traded, you know, and the realistic answer is probably someone in the teens. And, you know, that's probably not a most exci- the most exciting answer. And, frankly, it could be any number of those guys. I'm sure that they the Braves give teams, like, from the list of three players, if you pick one of these, would that make a deal work? You know, that's kind of how that works. So, um, anyway, that's, that's kind of how I feel about those trade questions, I guess is my general answer. Uh, next question I'm going to answer really quickly, uh, just to kind of as a kind of a procedural one is, where's Kyle Wright? Is he injured? If I'm not mistaken, he hasn't made a start since the first one about a month ago. Uh, the, the short answer is you are mistaken. Uh, he did pitch back on, back on the 18th. He hasn't missed a start. Uh, he has not been good, I will say. Uh, firmly, uh, ERA approaching seven this year, uh, for Gwinnett. Uh, the, I will say that, and again, this is another problem with MILB as a site and as an app and things like that. Like the game logs and things like that are really wonky. Sometimes it only shows like, you know, major league appearances and doesn't show like, the minor league game logs, et cetera, et cetera. And Garrett and I were talking about this because I was kind of losing my mind. I'm like, there's no way this is right. Uh, you know, like, I guess we need to mention this if this is the case because I had the same issue when I looked it up. Is that he only showed that first start, but look, looking back just just a few minutes ago, looking that the game logs are back now. So, the short answer he is he is around. Uh, I couldn't tell you if he's dealing with an injury. Um, I will tell you that he hasn't been very good. So take that what you will. And I imagine that you know, in terms of guys who are going to be getting spot starts for Atlanta, uh, Wright is pretty. He has ways to go before he kind of works his way back in that conversation, especially with Tucker Davidson and Bryce Wilson pitching well. Um, so the next question, uh, and this will be the last question before we go to a break is, uh, besides the obvious in Spencer Strider, uh, by the way, make sure you go to the website. I, I interviewed Spencer this past week and he was a delight to interview and a lot of really good information there. Make sure you read it. Um, any rookies that have jumped out to you in, as guys so far and being different from expectations, either positive or negative. So we got, we have, we have a lot of guys to talk about Garrett. So I'll let you go ahead and go. So we're talking about any any prospects in general, uh, we're, we're either just new, guys new, that we haven't seen much. I, 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 I was, I was just, just pick three guys whose expectations, like whether you had zero expectations and now they're really good, or they weren't good and then they are good, or vi- right. like vice versa. Just like like pick three guys uh, that you like you want to highlight. Alrighty, uh, pop up guy recently would be Darius Vines. He's looked really really good in Augusta. Um, he has three pitches, change up, curveball, fastball. The curveball is really, really good. I'm not 
as sure on the other two pitches. I think he's a guy that could project to be an MLB reliever. Uh, he's looked good. I want to see more of him. I want to see him at a higher level, and I want to see him against guys that have hit in the last year and a half. But he's a guy to keep an eye on. Um, a guy kind of in another – a reliever that's done really well is Indigo Diaz. He's put up really gaudy strikeout numbers. He's, he's looked great. He's been shoving. He, I mean, yeah. he's really been fantastic. That's a guy that we need to – we're going to really keep a close eye out on over the next year to see if he's a guy that can push into getting into Atlanta's bullpen in the future. And then a guy that we've kind of talked about that has really disappointed would be Steven Paolini. It's clear watching him that he's overwhelmed at this level and that unless something drastically changes with him, I don't think that he's going to hit, you know, his bat slow. He's not able to catch up to um, velocity. It's just, he hasn't looked good that, the physical tools are there. He's athletic. He runs around great in center field. It's just, it doesn't look like he's going to hit. And that's just unfortunate. You know, things can change. He's very, very young. But right now, if we had to make a judgment, I don't think it's going to work out for him. Yeah, uh, I've been really concerned about just kind of how late he's been on pitches, just generally speaking. He seems to draw a good bit of walks. And I think that that patience maybe down the lines will serve him well. But I also think that he's, the, the hit tool is rough enough right now that when he gets late in counts, he's kind of asking for trouble because he doesn't even have like that kind of that bat speed to foul pitches off, or at least he's not that pitch recognition to be able to kind of like fight pitches off and get his pitches, his pitches to drive. Uh, again, pretty disappointing. Um, overall, uh, I will say that, uh, Rotary Munoz, uh, who Garrett has wrote up extensively, uh, has had, uh, has been a little rougher the last couple outings to be sure, but that's a, that's a high octane fastball. And a guy that we really like kind of as a pure stuff perspective, and he came out of nowhere for us. Uh, is he a reliever? Is he a starter? Again, we don't really have answers to those questions quite yet. Uh, you know, profile-wise, it seems to make more sense that he ends up being a reliever. But, you know, let him keep starting. Let him keep figuring things out. Uh, a guy who's also been pretty disappointing for me has been Tyler Owens. Uh, and I think part of it is that in Augusta, there's been a lot of... Um, like handcuffing of players where there's like, you know, like a guy will start a game and pitch three or four innings and then the same guy will come up, you know, uh, like basically his partner will like pitch the next three innings or like, you know, we'll pitch three innings in a game. And I think he, and I'd have to go back and look to be sure about this, but like in games where he starts the game, he's been fine and been good, but in games where he kind of comes in and pitches his three innings, but they've come on in relief have gone very poorly. So I'm, I'm wondering if maybe there's some of that kind of that preparation and kind of like being treated as a reliever that doesn't really work as well for him. But he hasn't been particularly good in Augusta, to be sure. Um, beyond that, I mean, I, I, I hate to be, I got like, I think Bryce Elders look pretty good. I like the slider still quite a bit. Um, you know, Joey Estes has looked really good, uh, in, in Augusta and another arm that we like a lot, but a guy who's been really disappointed is Braden Shoemake. And I know that like Matt Powers is like kind of, you know, like, tackling because like he really did not like that draft pick but the thing is everyone including Matt at least thought he was going to hit it was a question of whether I was like going to be an he was going to be an impact bat it was a question of like where does he play in the infield is he going to end up being a shortstop or is he kind of a tweener where he ends up playing second base or kind of ends up as a utility guy we all thought that he would at least hit for average and he has done not that this year uh, he's been one of like the worst hitters on Mississippi this year. And again, maybe it's coming down to some changes. You know, he's kind of closed up his stance a little bit. He's put on some more weight. Maybe he's kind of learning how to use that and it's kind of changed some things where he's like learning, you know, he's being pitched to in a certain way. He hasn't quite figured out how to, you know, take advantage of his, what I think is a, a real hit tool. Uh, but oddly enough, the one thing that I think he ends up being a shortstop for sure, cause he's, he's been fielding really well over there. So like, it's not been a question of his ability to actually play the position, uh, which is one of my, one of my primary concerns coming into the season, but he hasn't hit at all. And, you know, hopefully he kind of comes out of that and he's, you know, starts turning around pretty quickly. That whole Mississippi team has been pretty disappointing offensively. You just I thought they would have been significantly better. There's a lot of like high octane pitching, um, like octane position prospects on that roster. And they just haven't really performed the way we thought they would. But again, coming off a layoff, coming off kind of a weird season, it's going to take them a little bit. It's going to take them some time. You know, they've 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 put up some pretty abysmal offensive performances, but with a team that has that many good bats, including like Trey Harris, in addition to, you know, like C.J. Alexander, has had moments. You know, Grayson Janista. You know, all these guys. You know, Braden, 
Langoliers. These are all guys who we think they're are not terrible hitters, but they've not looked particularly great this year. So that that whole Mississippi roster has been kind of disappointing. But and you know the, the guys who have like really showed out, we've been kind of we've already talked a bit few about those guys that have performed really well. Uh, and one disappointment obviously is that Jared Schuster has only made one start, and we got to see if he's actually going to be able to stay healthy. And we'll actually be able to get some more information. We can get some more information on them to actually have an opinion on them. Um, so we got a bunch more questions to come, but before we get to all those, we'll make sure we take a quick break to listen to a word from our sponsors. All right, Garrett, we get to talk about the man, the myth, the legend now. The next question is how far through the system do you think Spencer Strider can make it this year being a college arm and looking dominant? You have the floor, sir. I, I think theoretically you could move him fairly quickly if you wanted to. I think he's going to move up to Rome within like the next couple of weeks. Like I think they're trying to get him going a little bit deeper into games and then he can move up to Rome. Rome is very, very soon for him. I don't – I think that with a lot of guys, they're just going to be patient with, him, with them this year. And with Strider, you know, he's – hasn't – pitched in he's probably going to be on a very severe innings limit this year because he hasn't pitched a full season in like three years and so it's he's very well could move to the bullpen later in the year he could move to the bullpen mid-season I don't I think he could get to double a this season but I don't think that he will get significant innings in double a just because I don't expect that they are going to push him to pitch a lot this year. And that's fine. I think that that's the right decision. I think you don't want to push a guy who's kind of still getting used to his current mechanics, who's hasn't pitched a lot in a few years. You don't want to throw the guy into the fire and say, go pitch a hundred innings for us. You have to keep him at 70 or 80 innings this year. And that's fine. I think that's good for him. But I think that it will kind of limit him from being able to, you know, I mean, he's a guy that stuff wise, if he pitches well enough, that's a guy who could get into your bullpen in the big leagues by the end of the year. But I think that because of that innings limit and because of them wanting to keep him as a starter, I think that you won't, I don't think that you'll see him go past double A. And really, I don't think that you'll see him spend a significant amount of time at double A either. Uh, I think you and I are on the same page here. I think that he ends up in double A. Uh, I think he's a double A arm now, by the way. I just want to go ahead and put that out there. Uh, in terms of command and pure stuff, like, that's where he could start being challenged. I don't think he's going to have a tough time at all in Rome. Uh, and I think you're right that the Rome promotion, I think, would be, is going to happen fairly quickly. And I think there's a few reasons for that, just in terms of, like, proximity to Atlanta and, you know, like, getting to work with some more pitching coaches out that way, things like that. I, I think that that move, makes a ton of sense to happen relatively quickly, right? Because um, you can still kind of keep him on an innings lip on a Rome roster because it's high A. A lot of those guys are like there's there's a lot of inning you know inning limits and pitch count limits happening in kind of those lower levels. It makes it still makes sense to kind of have him there. Um, I didn't get any indication that there was kind of like a hard and fast sort of um, rule about Strider, but I, it, it would make a lot of sense that they're going to be. They're going to creep up on kind of, you know, stretching him out further and further. And we have seen him, he's been at 60, 70 pitches about what he's been throwing. Uh, for those who aren't aware, and somehow by listening to this podcast and reading the site, you have somehow missed this stuff. Uh, Strider's been like sitting upper 90s, was touching triple digits uh, with like a breaking ball that like ranges from like kind of a wipeout slider look to kind of a power curve look. It kind of depends on how he throws it, what intent he's throwing with it. Um, you know, hasn't thrown a changeup in games yet. Uh, spin rate on the fastball is around 2,500, uh, probably a little bit more if you looked at the last start. So this is dominant stuff, right? And the, we got, we've gotten plenty of questions about whether or not, like, you know, we could see him in the Braves bullpen this year and things like that. I don't think that with an arm like this that they're already starting as a starter, if he can hold that velocity late in games and if he, if the breaking ball continues to look good and he's like good against opposite handed hitters and he's working efficiently, do you want starters that look like this? Full stop. You do. And it's really, you know, when you have a focus on the big leagues and what the big league team's doing this year, you want, like, you see this, a, a talented arm like this, and you're like, you want a guy who's throwing a hundred in your bullpen this year because you don't have an arm like that in your bullpen. But you don't screw up a guy's development like that just to make a short-term investment. You just don't. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, it seems like the Braves 
might have found something special here. Uh, and you want to be careful with how you develop them. You want to make sure you stretch them out properly. You want to make sure that they, they that they are catered to and make the adjustments they need to make to be successful as professionals. Um, so what I think ends up happening is that he makes a, the jump to Rome pretty quickly, uh, does really well there, and like probably sometime around the second half ends up being in Double A, and that's where he just kind of resides until the end of the year, just to kind of continue to you know get go further and further in the starts, work on other things, maybe adding another pitch, maybe just continuing to work on you know the action on that you know that that power curve ball that kind of will function against lefties that you know, he would he might need to. I'm not sure how much he needs it to based on the kind of action he gets on his fastball to to be successful as a starter. Again, he's going to look dominant for a while. We, I, I feel pretty confident in saying that, but I don't think that we're going to see him like in AAA or we're going to see him in the big or in the big leagues for that matter. Uh, if it's AAA, it's like end of the year, last two like last two weeks type thing. We have seen the Braves do that. Just move a guy up for just a couple starts, just to like get him a taste of it before he goes on to their next year. I guess that's theoretically possible, but I, it, again, that's a hard thing to ask. I think Mississippi ends up where he ends up, and. That's great, you know, for your fourth round pick for a guy who, like, in that draft class was the one that was all like kind of had, had all of us raising our eyebrows. That is a big win because right now, full stop, he looks like the best player in that class. Full stop. Um, and we again, we haven't had enough of a look at Jared Schuster, but th- that he's already dealing with injuries makes you wonder if that maybe there's you know some reasons to be concerned there. Uh, at least he hasn't been pitching, and it makes you at least a little bit concerned. Whereas Strider, you know, from a pure college perspective, has been awesome. It's full stop. Um, next question, uh, is related to the trade question from above is, uh, what is your take on Kyle Wright? Uh, you and Scott touched on it in Sunday's podcast. This is the Talking Shop podcast yesterday, but he sure seems to be falling down the pecking order. Does he even have much trade value at this point? Garrett, what do you think you could get for Kyle Wright at this point? So you remember a few years ago, Braves traded, like, what was the dude's name? Was it like, whoever they traded Luke Jackson for? Or whoever... The Rangers traded Luke Jackson for. That's about what you could get. I mean, Oof. no one right Oof. now. I mean, maybe a little bit more than that, but realistically, who was that? Oh no, that was that was no. Hold up, that was. I'm thinking of a different guy. But anyways, I'm thinking of a different trade. Regardless, you the best you could get is like a lower level reliever right now because no one the only reason to take him on right now is as a reclamation project because he's not good enough to pitch at the major league level he's hasn't shown any reason to believe he's going to be so the only reason a team would bring him on is because they see something that they think they can change there's really no realistic value to what he is right now i just don't i don't see it yeah, that's the problem with Wright because the, the here's here's the thing. I could see a team seeing the quality of his stuff, and maybe like he could be a, a part of a of a of larger trade. I just don't think that he could be a centerpiece of anything at this point, right? Uh, unless it was for again like a reliever or something like that. Because the problem is, is he major league ready right now? The answer is probably no. Uh, he's made major league starts. He has had some decent major league starts, but mostly it hasn't gone well. Uh, the are his the issues that he have easily explained or fixed? And we that that answer is very much no because again we see like from a bat to at bat his stuff looks great, and then the next at bat he loses his command altogether. We've seen where he goes through and order a, 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 a lineup once and he looks great, and then the my criticism pretty consistently over the years has been that once he goes through a lineup once his approach changes, the way his the the way he kind of. He chooses to go about, you know, throwing his pitches. It's not the same intent. It's not the same spin. It's just not, it's not the same. And plus, other guys seem to be keying on what he's doing, which leads to either command problems and or guys teeing off on him. And, you know, again, we've seen Kyle Wright be a good pitcher. You know what I mean? We, we've seen him be a good pitcher at AAA, but we haven't seen him be a good pitcher at the major leagues for any extended period of time. It's not the Braves very clearly don't trust him, so there's like the added problem of there's no leverage here. It's not like the Braves. It's not like that they feel like the Braves can be like, oh well, this is one of our better pitching prospects. You need to sweeten the offer a little bit because he's getting like Tucker Davidson and Bryce Wilson are consistently getting opportunities ahead of him. Wascar Noah got opportunities ahead of him for obvious openings in the rotation. 
what would be the, 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 there's a leverage problem. And there's I'm not sure the, the, the talent. There's talent there, but there's a performance and a track record problem too. So I just don't think he has that much trade value. And if that's the case, I don't know why the Braves would move him. Again, unless they just like they're just they want to give up on him and they just feel like that they need to move on and to, on to, onto other projects. And that's I don't know if they're they would be even to that point yet. I think that they'd still rather have him around just in case things work out. Because what you'd be getting in commensurate value, you're you're getting pennies on the dollar. So that's just kind of how my general thought process is. Um, so the next question, uh, yet another Michael Harris question, is Michael Harris will end the season in blank. Garrett? Triple A. I don't think that he'll spend long there. But I do think that they'll give him, like you were mentioning earlier with Strider. They'll give him, I think that they'll give him two or three weeks in AAA at the end of the season to get a taste of it. I think he'll spend most of his time, he'll spend a month and a half to two months in Rome. He'll spend about the same amount of time in Mississippi, learn what he needs to learn at those levels. I think he'll, I think he'll perform fine at those levels. And you know, you look at the way he's looking right now in Rome, you would say, oh, well, he's ready to get called up. I don't really know that. We don't really, there are things that they teach you at every level that he just has to learn. So I think that they're going to be patient with him. Give him a month and a half, two months at each level. If he struggles at double A, I could see him staying there till the end of the year. But I do think that they will probably, if he does what I think he is going to do, they'll give him a couple weeks at the end of the year just as a, hey, you've done well. Let's see how you look here so that we know what we have going into next year. See, I'm not quite as bullish, and I, I am an unnoted Michael Harris fan. Uh, I think he ends up in double A. I think what ends up happening is that, you know, he's hitting pretty well in Rome, uh, and I think he's just going to continue to get better, and he's just going to end up forcing the Braves' hand to getting the double A. And I think that double A might be a bit of a struggle at first. He's just so young that, like, the guys in double A are good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, the pitchers there are legitimately good. Like, that's when you start thinking about guys getting called up as guys that are in double A right now. And I think that there's going to be an adjustment period there. I still think he ends up performing fine, and I think that he certainly helps that Mississippi offense, but you know, I, I don't think he quite gets to the Gwinnett call up. Uh, that's that's a that's a that's a crazy trajectory for the, for him. Uh, I, again, he's talented enough where he could do it. Has all the physical tools to be you know to impact the ball and to like really impress people. And he's already impressed a lot of people in the organization. But I, I think that where he ends the season, is he ends the season in Double A. Uh, has a has a strong has a good season in Double A, and then you know we're talking about him in Triple A in 2022. And then some decision making starts getting really interesting, especially if Drew Waters and Christian Pate are still around and in the mix. Um, so next question is who's going to get more starts for the big league club in 2023? It's an interesting year to choose. Uh, William Contreras or Shea Langoliers? Garrett, who's the okay, catcher? I gotta, I gotta check my calendar to see what year it is now. Okay. 2021, two years from now. <laughs> That's such a big thing for you. Wait, what year is it? <laughs> Hold on. I have, I get, uh, time is not real, but, I mean, probably Contreras. I mean, obviously the safer pick is Contreras. He's already playing in the major leagues, so. I mean, I think that Contreras, I've always thought Contreras was the better player, so I'm gonna go with Contreras, but, I mean, honestly, it could be either of them at this point. I, I like both players, so. I, I'm gonna go with Contreras, but with the idea that, like, if it's Shea Langoliers, I am not gonna be upset at all. Yeah, I will say that this isn't a statement of preference for me. Uh, I do like Contreras a lot and I like the bat more. And I think that's where the my where I lean as well simply because we have not she- seen Shea Langoliers hit enough in the minor leagues to make you think that he is going to be a like starting most of the time catcher in 2023 yet. So that seems like the play, the bet. Whereas in Contreras' case, he's having a bit of a rough stretch right now where he's getting a heavy dose of like big league sliders and, you know, being forced to figure out how to deal with them. And, you know, you know, welcome to the big leagues. You know, they're all, this, if you show any propensity to hit, you're going to get the best breaking balls that they've got and seeing if you can do anything with them. And if you're swinging over the top of them, they're going to keep doing it until you don't. So that, that's what's happening to him right now, but he's been impacting the ball. He's been impacting games. Uh, in, in really positive ways, uh, offensively. Defensively, he's had some, certainly had some moments where it haven't been so great, but again, kind of getting used, you know, getting used to that one knee in the dirt type catching and, you know, still kind of, again, being thrown into the fire because of the injury to Darno. It's kind of a, 
he gets a little bit of a pass on that sort of stuff. Uh, I will say on Langleyers though, he there are a few things that I enjoy watching more than his pickoff move to first on minor league base runners because th- some of these guys have no clue what they're up against and they'll take these long leads and just trying to like be cute and like to do stutter steps to see if they can make Shea make a mistake. And the first his first move every time is to throw a rocket down to first base and he's been getting some guys. Love seeing it. You know, he's like in terms of like those that sort of technical aspect of catching, you know, that controlling the running game, love what he does there. Love what he does there. He's still working on but again, he's still learning on call, working on calling games. He's had to switch his stance his catching stance as well, that knee in the dirt types that knee in the dirt type of stuff, and he's still figuring out how to hit. So the safe bet there is gonna be Contreras for sure. Um just have a few more questions. Uh, the next one is, will the Braves use any pitching prospects in any meaningful ways after September? And if so, who? Garrett, who are your uh, September call-up possibilities? Uh, Tucker Davidson is still a prospect, so I think that Tucker will get a chance to do something in September. I don't know if it will be to start, but I think that Tucker will get a chance in Atlanta. Obviously, I think De La Cruz will be there. He might get three or four innings, but I don't – you know, the – if the uh, qualifier is in a meaningful way, I really don't think that they're in any rush to use De La Cruz. He has obvious issues with his command right now. He's, I don't think that De La Cruz is ready, and he might be by the end of the year, but I don't think that they're in any rush to use him. I really think the only – I don't think that Mueller's going to get there. I, I don't think that anybody other than um, – Davidson really is going to get a significant look in Atlanta in September. I mean, there are a couple of relief project prospects who could theoretically jump through the system, but right now it's, I don't, right now I don't think that anybody is doing well enough for me to say that that is going to happen. Uh, Brandon White has done very well in double A, but I don't know if he's going to be good enough to get to the major leagues this year. Diaz has been good, but I don't know if there's, you know, projecting where relievers, which relievers are going to get called to the major leagues at this point is impossible. And I don't think that anybody has done well enough to make me think that's going to happen. So at this point, I think I'm leaning towards Davidson's going to get some time. And that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, I think that's about right. Uh, it's funny because, you know, like one of the easy answers that would have been for us is, uh, if Victor Vodnik was going to be being used as a reliever in Mississippi, which is kind of what we thought was going to happen when he got the assignment to Mississippi, but he's been starting and he's been very good there. And if that's the case, then, you know, we're, he's not going to be up in Atlanta in September because he's going to be working on starting and like continuing to like manage his load as a starter. And again, has looked good in that position. So you don't necessarily want to just shift a live arm like that to the reliever, to the relief core just because you know, you have a perceived need there. I think it's more likely that a trade deadline deal is kind of used to fill those holes, which is what, again, the one thing I will say about Anthopolis is that he's been willing to trade for, for relievers um, and to kind of acquire those guys, assuming that he has the payroll flexibility to do so. We don't really know what his payroll flexibility is at the moment, and I know that that's kind of a meme uh, in terms of a fra- the phrasing payroll flexibility and all that stuff, but, you know, it seems like that if they need to get a relief arm, it's more likely that they're going to try to go find one elsewhere than bring one up. Uh, the name that would have been the easiest one would have been Daysville Hernandez because he's just kind of the relief prospect that kind of has been around enough and has been good enough consistently that maybe once you put him in AAA, he's so close that maybe he gets an, he gets an opportunity, but he has not been good in AAA. So I'm not sure that's not something that's imminent. And, you know, maybe he turns things around and he puts his name in that conversation. But other than that, like those are, there's nothing, about kind of like prospects in Gwinnett right now. There's a lot of like journeyman types that are at Gwinnett that I wouldn't necessarily call prospects. And if that's the case, it's kind of hard to envision like, you know, kind of a, a particularly surprising September call up. Uh, again, if we, you know, promotions and things like that could change that, change my thinking on this, but that's the, I think you kind of nailed the names that are going to be the most likely. I, th- I think uh, the other one, uh, another one would be Burroughs, but he, like Hernandez, has looked really, really bad this year. Burroughs especially has had absolutely, and this could be a matter of the time he spent off. He has had no idea where any of his pitches are going right now, and I don't think that he's definitely right now not even close to being ready for the major leagues, and I don't honestly think he will be by September either. But that's well, another like, name. That's another fringe prospect that you say, okay, if he starts pitching well, he could get to Atlanta, but there are also a lot of left-handed relievers. So it's easier for a righty like Hernandez, whereas 
Burroughs has a few names to pass. Well, yeah, and the problem with Burroughs is, like, he's been kind of, like, the token relief prospect that, like, nationalists have put in the Braves' top 30 just because they feel like that they have to, and he, like, he went to Vanderbilt, right? Like, that's pretty much been it. Like, you know, he, he hasn't necessarily he hasn't necessarily justified his position on prospects but lists in a lot of ways, um, at least for me. So it's kind of a weird situation there is that I'm not sure if he was ever good enough to begin with. Like, even when he was good, I'm not sure if he was like, worth the call. Um, but, again, that's just me. Um, so next question is actually a guy we've talked about a little bit already is, uh, have hang, having had a few more games to look at Brady and Shoemake this year and with his slow start, has your opinion on him changed much? Uh, I'll go ahead and just say that, like, I've kind of already stated my opinion on this. Uh, I'm, I'm surprised the hit tool has been as bad as it has been so far this year. Uh, I do think that he, he sticks at shortstop. I am still unconvinced that he'll have an impact bat. And now I'm less convinced that he has much of a, as, as good of a hit tool as we thought. Garrett, you is that kind of where you are, or you kind of have different thoughts? Yeah, on that? I mean, definitely in the positive sense. Defensively, my questions are answered. He's he's a shortstop. He looks like a guy who's actually gotten better as he's putting on strength, which does happen. Guys get stronger, they work out better, they get in the major, they get into an organization that knows that better, and they improve defensively. That's happened with him. I think he sticks at shortstop, and that alone. That alone with his hit tool probably gets him to the major leagues. But I don't think that – at the beginning of the year, I was looking at him and thinking, all right, if this guy hits for some power this year and plays good enough shortstop, that's a guy who can be a major league starter. And I just – I haven't seen a single – it's not a matter of he's had some bad luck or, you know, he's had some strikeouts and guys strike out, whatever. He's just not hitting the ball. Every ball that comes off, almost every ball is a ground ball or a pop-up. It's soft, weak contact, and that's the most concerning thing. If it was hard contact and a bunch of strikeouts, you look at that and say, it's the beginning of the year, he hasn't played in a while. But it's just, it's bad contact. He's not making a lot of it. I just, I'm very worried about the bat for sure. I do think that he will hit for contact. I think that he'll draw some walks, but I don't. I haven't seen enough of a change in the swing to make me think that there's going to be a significant shift in his power profile. And I don't think that that's going to play at the major league level as a, I don't think that he's going to be an average or better starter. He might be a guy that could be a low end starter, but I don't see him really. I don't see him being a reliable major league shortstop. Uh, I think I'm right there with you. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I, and again, I don't want to draw too many conclusions after uh, like a kind of a one month look at him, but you know the the returns so far on uh, Shoemaker have not been particularly good. So the next question, uh, and this is kind of a uh, I have a kind of a weird answer to this one, but uh, which Braves farm team has been the most fun to watch so far this year, and who do you think to be the most fun to watch come August? Yeah, like when you're when you're tuning in, what are you wanting to watch? All right. Well, Gwinnett was fun when they weren't losing six in a row. Uh, I think the most <laughs> the most fun from a prospect perspective is obviously Rome. They have a bunch of guys there. But I think the most entertaining has been Augusta because that level is just so weird right now. And every single one of those guys has done – I mean, every single pitching prospect – almost every single pitching prospect there you look at and you say, okay – he could be something. He's got, you know, you've got Vine, Strider, Munoz, and the Barger, and the Barger or Barger? Barger. Barger. Barger in the rotation. So you've got a bunch of guys there that, you know, Estes, um, Owens, you know, so you've got a bunch of pitchers there that can pitch. A lot of the guys coming out in relief are legit, are legit prospects. You've, you know, not a ton of legitimate starter caliber prospects on the lineup, but a lot of the guys like Carter, uh, Drew Campbell have done really, really well and they've been entertaining to watch. They're guys that could be bench bats in the future. I mean, it's been an entertainingly weird season there and I've had fun watching it. To the second part of the question, I, I think probably Mississippi because by the end of the year, you're going to have Strider there. You're probably going to have Elder there. You're probably going to, you might have Ball there. Who Langoliers? Well, I would assume my assumption is that Langoliers will still be there. He could get to AAA, but right now I think he will still be there. You'll have uh, Harris there, so it. I think Mississippi is going to be a very fun team by the end of the year. I think Rome will still be a fun team. 
Rome is definitely the best prospect wise right now, but I am finding myself watching a lot of Augusta games because we don't know a lot of those guys and it's been entertaining to say the least. I'm actually right there with you. Uh, if you're, if you're wanting to look the, at the best, like the best, best prospect watching, you know, watch Drew Waters at Bats and Gwinnett and then watch Rome because that's kind of like, you know, and again, you'll get, you'll, there's place, there's players to watch at all levels. I will say that, but watching Augusta one is just, that has been the, the biggest information gathering for, for me. Uh, and I'm, again, I'm right there with you. Kind of, and the, the biggest surprises and delightful ones at that have been coming from Augusta with Munoz and Spencer Strider and kind of, you know, the emergence of some of these pitching prospects that they have down there particularly. Uh, and I'm right there with you on Mississippi. I think that the guys who aren't hitting will probably be hitting there, and we're also it's likely that we're going to see Michael Harris up there. It's very likely. Uh, we think it's likely that we'll see Spencer Strider there. And, you know, there's plenty of guys that are already there that we like watching. Again, right with, with you 100%. I would say with Augusta, too, is that it's – it's like watching like The Bachelor or something. It feels like a guilty pleasure watching them because like what you're watching isn't necessarily good a lot of the time, right? Like you see, like you'll see, they drew twenty like, walks the other day and lost and lost. They lost a game <laughs> where they drew twenty walks, right? The and, then the game, and then the game after that, they drew nine walks. They give up three runs in the top of the ninth, and then like through what some like Rube Goldberg machine of like, you know, like. Braulio Vasquez, like, basically single-handedly, like, having to beat a game himself, and, like, all, like some real stolen bases. It was, it was peak, it was peak, on? it was peak low-level minor leagues, and they ended up winning that game, of all games, when, like, the game that they should have won by, like, ten runs, they ended up losing, uh, it was, uh, again, it's Braulio's one of those things on that one right now. Yeah, yeah, Braulio Vasquez, uh, no stolen threat. bases. Oh my god. Yeah, yep. Yeah. I'm not sure how much else he can do, but he the man the man can and will run. Uh stole home the other day too. So again, kinda like it's you're you're watching it, it's not necessarily good what you're watching, but you can't keep your eyes away from it th- at times. And there's plenty and there are things that like really catch your eye and like, wow, this guy's really interesting. Um and again, like you know, and plus there's bats like Von Von Grissom. I I, I continue to hold out hope that maybe pa- Stephen Paolini will actually, you know, put together a stretch where he makes me gives me hope again, um, and and also you know one thing to keep in mind too is we don't know what this draft class is going to look like with col with when if it's uh, if it's college names towards the, the front of the draft then all of a sudden you know Augusta and Rome will continue to be really interesting for us uh, if we're seeing more high school guys and you know that they'll still be interesting to be sure but there's gonna be those are gonna be kind of longer term projects that might not see full season ball this year. So that's something to kind of keep in mind too. Is that after the draft, we'll have some other thoughts. I imagine on what levels we enjoy watching. Uh, last question before we let everyone go. Uh, we've somehow managed to run over an hour already. Uh, how much longer do the Braves have before they have a legit crunch in the outfield depth chart? Garrett, what do you think? I, I mean, I don't. I think it's going to be a while. Honestly, I mean, I think. I, I think that. Two years from now, you're, there's going to be the question of who are the starting three outfielders between Harris, Waters, and Pache, who are the last two. But I think that, I think that we'll know enough about all of them at this point that they will, I think that they will tell us who is ready. By then we'll know, if Pache is hitting by then, then he's clearly one of the, and then it's between Waters and Harris and more than likely, one of the two is going to show that they're clearly ready, and we'll see what happens then. I don't think that we're gonna, I don't know if they're gonna have like a true situation where they're like, where do we play all these guys? I think that, you know, even if you look at 2023, at that point, Harris is gonna be 22 years old. So if you say, um, he's ready, but we don't have anywhere to put him, you just put him at AAA and see what happens. I mean, I, I don't know that they're it's very unlikely that between the three of them, all of them are going to work out. With prospects, that's never how it goes. Someone is going to fail. Someone's going to struggle. If I had to guess, it's if I had to guess, Harris is going to be one of the two, and then either Pache or Waters is not going to hit enough to play at the major league level. But we don't know. We don't know exactly who it's going to be. But more than likely, two of the th- one of the three at least is going to play poorly enough that. The Braves are going to know 
who their starting outfield is. The only thing that could throw a wrench in that is if there is not the universal DH, then they have a outfield crunch next year because that's yeah, going to that, be an that, interesting situation. And I will, and that's the, that's the point that I was going to make uh, is that, and and I will not diminish Major League Baseball's ability to screw up what is should be an easy decision to implement the universal DH. Because uh, if that's the case, then you have you don't have Marcel out there anymore, and then there's pl- there's plenty of spots to kind of let this competition play out in a natural way, right? But I mean, again, but the problem then becomes, you know, if baseball does make a dumb decision, then all of a sudden you have to start making some hard decisions next year, uh, especially with like you know you have to start making forty man considerations too, and you know how how many young guys you want out there, et cetera, et cetera. You know, especially when you have Marcel out there who you know defensively leave something to be desired, right? Um, and you can never have enough, you know, the usual caveats of you can never have enough depth, et cetera, et cetera. These are all important considerations. But I think that the I have concerns about the upcoming collective bargaining agreement. I think that the one thing that's going to happen is that they're going to, all parties are going to agree that there needs to be a universal DH. Now, what the implications are for the other parts of the negotiation as a result of that are – Concerning and just the things that have nothing to do with that, uh, but are concerning based on the state of labor negotiations between the two sides. That's a different question. That said, I think you're right. We have a couple years until we have to figure this out. Like they have to figure it out. Um, But it's not something like now. If the DH isn't in place, then then they have some decisions they have to make pretty quickly. Um, And I think that if that's the case, then Michael Harris is not going to be your starting outfielder in 2022. Uh, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. But you know that might. But it's also possible that he ends up as the best of those three guys. Uh, how that shakes out is a little bit different. But I think they have a couple of years where they have to really have to worry about that crunch. And you know this, these are good problems to have. But I don't think there's something again. Assuming they don't screw up what should be an easy decision, we got we have a couple of years where we have to really worry too much about that. Well, that's pretty much all we got, guys. Uh, we actually ran a little bit longer than I thought we were going to, but we, you know, Garrett and I love talking minor league baseball. And we, you know, the, the minor league staff basically talks minor league baseball all day in the chat, and this is kind of an extension of kind of how those chats go, uh, including the, you know, Garrett not knowing what year it is. Uh, that's, that's pretty much a peak how these conversations go. We really appreciate you guys taking time to listen to the podcast. Make sure you tell your friends about it. Uh, if you want to help support the podcast, the easiest way to do that is to tell your friends about it and to leave a five-star review uh, on the Talking Top stream, whichever you podcast provider you prefer, whether it be iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever. Like leaving those reviews lets more more eyeballs find the podcast on their own uh, via those kind of those search results, and that allows the podcast to continue to grow. And it has been growing. Um, and if you haven't, for whatever reason. Subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you do so because not only do you get this podcast where you get to talk about sweet prospects, but you also get to listen to the the Talking Shop flagship show, which is most of the time hosted by the great Brad Roland. I am a regular co-host there as well as Scott Roland. Uh, have guests on there from time to time as well. Really fun show. Uh, this past week, I had to uh, I, I had to take the reins with Scott. Uh, to man the show because Garrett had I me mean, not Garrett. Uh, Brad had some social obligations, which I, I guess. People have, uh, I guess that people have lives outside of baseball and sports. You know, I don't know if I'd necessarily know about that too much at this point. Uh, I guess this has been a pretty busy few weeks for us, but we really appreciate all the, the, all the love for the show. If you want to make sure you don't miss an episode, make sure you're following Talking Chop on Twitter. Make sure, make sure you're following at Road, the number two Atlanta to make sure that the, the, you get an idea as to when the new episodes are coming out and follow Garrett at Braves MILB. If you want to hear, see a lot of major league, minor league or to speak writing about the world at large you can follow me on twitter as well at leprechaun with a k appreciate all the support we're going to continue to be getting out the, the games uh i've been a bit laid up i have, wasn't able to go to rome this week like i was planning on because i got quarter zone shots in my feet which is about as pleasant as pleasant as it sounds hoping to get out there this week though to at least watch a game or two to kind of see what some of these guys are doing and until next time we'll see you on the road <laughs>